So Mackenzie, I wanted to ask you one question for this bonus episode. Well, actually three questions. And uh, the first one that I wanted to ask you is why do queer stories matter to you personally, specifically? Well, personally, especially when you're talking in terms of vast uh, science fiction fantasy universes like Marvel um, or any comics universe, really, when we're telling people, real people in the world uh, who are part of the LGBTQ community, that it is less preposterous uh, for there to be dragons and gods and eternals and all of these things, that that's less preposterous than one of those those gods, dragons, etc., might be gay. I think that's kind of that's kind of a problem, right? Uh, <laughs> and if we have this big expansive universe, which like that's the whole fun of things like Marvel and Star Wars and DC is that you have these big universes and you say there's a place for everybody in this universe. You can't caveat that and say there's a place for everyone except people in the queer community. Yeah. And it shouldn't have that caveat because A, that's that's BS and it's exclusionary and it's frustrating. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure that we're not telling queer people that their existence is, is so preposterous and that they don't have a place in these sort of imagined realities, many of which are billed as kind of, not utopias, but like, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's an idealized version of reality, at least in somebody's mind. Right. And so if we can, if we can, if we can't imagine an idealized fantasy world with queer people in it, we're not, we're not doing our job. We're not, we're not serving our, our readers. And we're also we, I'm talking about myself, like I'm 15 people. Um, yeah. We meaning, we meaning the, the, the world of, the world of creators. Um, I think so many of us too identify as part of the LGBTQ community that for me anyway, with the Marvel, with, with the work I've done for Marvel at a certain point, it's like, if I'm not seeing myself in these stories, if I can't write myself and my experiences into these stories, then what am I doing? What am I doing writing them at all? Yeah. There isn't a there isn't a fantasy world for me that exists that doesn't include LGBTQ people as part of it. And I feel like like your your writing as a whole is a very good representation of that, where you know you're 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 not like your non-Marvel writing, the you know, the gentleman's guide device and virtue, like that when you approached that writing project, was this something like in the forefront of your mind where you're like this, like I this has to be a part of the world I'm going to build in these books too. Oh, absolutely. And a gentleman's guide actually weirdly relates really well to the Marvel stuff because it's historical fiction. So you, you're almost working with a, it's not a canon, but you're working with an established world, which is in this case, the, the 18th century. Um, and I was a, I was a young person who grew up in a conservative area and who just didn't have any concept of queerness or of the LGBTQ community or of identity for a long time. Like I didn't know that straight wasn't, it's not even that straight was the default. It's like, I didn't even know there were other choices other than straight. Yeah. Um, and so I was the kid who like, I remember in, maybe in college even, which is kind of embarrassing. The first time I heard someone be like, well, Abraham Lincoln was probably gay. I was like, <laughs> good jokes on you. They didn't have gay people back then. They yeah. didn't have gay people until Rent came out. Like that, that was wasn't invented of, until yeah, the eighties. Like, well, that was kind of my my response to it. And then as I as I dug into it, before I got interested in being part of the modern queer community, I was interested in queer history, and that was how it became accessible for me. That was 
how I explored my own identity, especially as someone, again, who was in a conservative community that I felt like my world is not going to change. Yeah. How can I fit within it still? And that felt more relevant to people in history. Like people in history felt more relatable for that reason. Like for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I want to read stories where like, there's no way your world is going to change. So you have to figure out how to sort of remake yourself and slot yourself into it anyway. Yeah. And, and that happens a lot in historical settings. And part of why I really enjoyed reading queer history is because you find all these people who found a way and they found a way to exist and to make it work and to live with the people they loved and to be open with their relationships. Um, and so I was reading all these stories and I felt like if I don't, if I, if I don't write this, if I portray history as, as straight and as white as I had always thought it was, I think I'm doing a disservice to, to readers. Like I hope that, I hope that we're the last generation of people who have to kind of seek out these stories of minority narratives in history. I hope that the new generation coming up just it's, it's intrinsically part of their historical narratives. I completely lost the thread of your question because I just no, started no, no, talking that, about things. That's that's perfect because like the the whole point and goal of this bonus episode is to highlight like really like voices where like queer stories matter to you and like why they should matter to other people who maybe like they're, they're maybe they're on the outside of the queer community, but they're they're trying to both support and encourage you know creators or people within that community in positive ways um like that's why i wanted to i wanted to do this bonus episode truthfully i wanted to do this bonus episode last year um but i i was discouraged not to and, and this year i'm just like no i'm gonna do it like i'm, I'm not gonna i'm glad you are but i so speaking of communities and fandoms and you already mentioned a few um where where are you seeing inclusivity with um queer you know characters storytelling creators in fandoms right now um i think it's in a lot of the sort of uh the the smaller properties um because i think they can get away with it because they they don't oh this sounds bad but it's part of the business like they don't have to appeal to a global market so like with some of these littler fringe tv shows they're not worried about how they're going to release in China with all the homophobia in China and like how you have yeah. to be able to cut the two seconds of America Chavez's two moms out of multiverse of madness so that China will show it. like that kind of stuff, which we know is, is BS, but it is part of the capitalist reality of, of right, fandoms. Yeah. And so as much as we love fandom and we talk about it as a sort of like a community space and a fan space, what it really is, is a capitalist space. It's and, and Marvel would not exist if they weren't thinking about these sort of global global money concerns um and so i think when you find these tv shows and these and books even and things like that that exist sort of on the fringes of of their networks um or the fringes of sort of pop culture that's where you see the best representation because they're not worried about pleasing everybody they know who their audience is they have a narrow audience and everyone's sort of okay with that and they go in with that understanding and then what continues to frustrate me though is that then these these shows blow up and they develop these big cult followings and these big fandoms and then you have networks and executives and people going oh that's so weird we had no idea that this would be so popular and it's like it's popular because clearly there's an audience for it and not only an audience but an audience that is absolutely starved for this and are taking it wherever they can get it i think we've seen it the most recent one that comes to mind is the fandom that has sprung up around the tv show our flag means death 
Yes. Um, which is about gay pirates, which like, so you're a big fan of. Yeah, I, I love that show. I think it was and I was a fan of it before I before I realized it was it was queer. And I think I did what a lot of people did, which is I went into it being like, oh, it's a funny uh, kind of anachronistic historical show. This is great. Blackbeard and Steve Bonnet start like scooting closer together. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fun little bromantic comedy. Like it's, it didn't even feel like queer baiting because it just felt like I'm like, this is what always happens. It's just like, look at these two guys being pals and then suddenly they're kissing and you're like oh my god like I was like I was already enjoying this my expectations were low and now it's like it's actually happening and I I wish more I wish we could bring the queer fandom for things off the fringes I wish we could bring it out yeah. of out of fanfiction.net I wish because you see all these things like oh my brain's going a million miles an hour right now That's yeah, perfectly fine. please please edit this to be more coherent than it is you see in like fandoms, like the big fandoms, like Supernatural or um, even in Star Wars and in Marvel, you see all these like gay relationships being the sort of the fa the fandom's lifeblood in a lot of ways. You see the like Steve Rogers, Bucky Barnes, uh, slash fic that's like one of the biggest parts of the fandom. And it's frustrating. I think a lot of, a lot of people keep going in with this kind of naive hope that like oh if we just if we just do it push hard enough for it marvel's going to canonize it one day and we go into sherlock thinking the bbc is going to make john sherlock the end game and i just want to be like no they're not because a they're kind of homophobic but also b like that's just not going to sell you're going to alienate your audience doing that and it's frustrating to keep getting burned over and over again that i've just started i've sort of started like I go in expecting the least. And then if anything gay happens, it's like, this is a lovely surprise. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's always, it's always frustrating and sad. As you asked me a question about nice representation. I'm like, it's always frustrating and sad to go into these big properties, see them maybe not intentionally, but sometimes it feels kind of intentional uh, exploiting these, these tropes and these relationships and letting the fandom sort of gorge themselves behind the scenes or on Tumblr yeah. and on AO3 and things like that and then never doing anything to canonize it and you can only you can only live off scraps and then fandom for so long at some point you don't see yourself in these stories you're the relationships you're rooting for are not canon they're never going to be canon there's never going to be the same kind of it, it starts to feel like you know like Marvel would never take a relationship between say uh say Steve and Bucky they would never take that as seriously as they take like a relationship between Pepper and Tony that's never going to be it feels like it's never going to be their end game in the way it is for so yeah. many fans which is endlessly frustrating um and so I I think we're starting to get a little more we're starting to get the like America Chavez has two moms and the Eternals the he has a husband like we're starting to get those little tidbits but or yeah. even like bisexual Loki showed up for a blink and you'll miss it second on the TV show, which was great. But we're getting to a point now where I think fans are like, okay, but I need the next thing. I can't, I can't keep existing. We can't keep existing on these tiny little things. We can't keep getting told that our stories and our narratives are only appropriate when they can be cut out easily, when they exist on the fringes, when they don't have to sell merch, when it's, it's so endlessly frustrating. And it's almost more frustrating to see these like them kind of take these tiny little fan service steps that then don't yeah. really have any any weight to them or any any see-through to them um i would i would imagine like because you can you can like you can almost telegraph the next move where it's you know like oh you gave you gave like a little percent but you're never going to give more than yeah. that 
Um, yeah. it's like or that it's one... like the only the only people who can be gay are like the the background characters or the two unnamed pilots in in, in Star the, Wars in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, we could never have Poe and Finn. Heaven forbid. But we can have these two these two women kiss in the very background. We're never going to give them names. We're never going to identify them. And you can only do that for so long before you start sending the message to all of your queer fans that their stories only exist on the fringes of of mainstream narratives that they're this is never going to be for you you only get to be a background extra in this Ugh. and it's 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 insulting frankly especially because fandom is a place for so many queer fans because fan, queer people want community we felt like outsiders our whole lives you're looking for you're looking for for your people and lots of people find that in fandom um and so i don't know there's a whole there's a whole sort of uh not mythology what's the word um brain space, I guess, around queer creators in fandom and queer people who are taking these stories that they already love and then having to sort of create their own queer narratives within them. Yeah. And I remember doing this as a as a kid when I was a fan fiction writer. Um, like I said, I didn't have any, um, I, I've been asked before in interviews, like who is the first queer couple you saw in media? And my answer was always Anakin and Obi-Wan in the slash <laughs> fiction that I like ran into on fan fiction. Like that was how I became aware of, aware of uh, queerness. Um, so like I, That's I, remember, <laughs> I remember doing it as a as a kid, but with women that I loved Star Wars. There are no, I mean, there's there's two notable women in Star Wars, or at least there were in the prequels and the yeah when we were when growing was, up. Yeah. yeah, I was like, we had Leia, Leia and Padme who were great, but I was like, I want more of these. And so I was writing fan fiction with like everything's the same except there's like original female characters who are also solving mysteries with the Jedi and you yeah. see queer people do that too and that's why like fan fiction and fandom becomes these like these spaces for women for queer people for minorities it's because we're not seeing ourselves in these stories that we love so we have to sort of create characters and create ways for the for our, create ways for our stories to be part of them yeah but eventually you get to a point where you're tired of you're tired of that not being part of the mainstream narrative of that sort of only existing in the fandom. So tired of getting the scraps from the table and just asking for a seat at the table. Yeah. You're getting the scraps and being told to be grateful for, for even that. And I, like I said, I understand both sides of it. I understand you got to sell merch in China. I understand that without the like global box office that Marvel wouldn't exist. And I understand that there are lots of places in the world still that are not as tolerant and uh, and even tolerant feels like too nice of a word for America, but like, it's a pretty okay place to be queer in America. Like there are places you can be safe, you can be out, you can be open, you can be protected. There are also many places that you can't obviously, but there are also places around the world you can. So I understand, I, I understand from, from the global marketing standpoint of it all, but also at the same time, it just doesn't feel like a good enough, a good enough excuse anymore. Yeah. I, <laughs> It's, 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 I, I've talked about this before on the show, like truly like fandom is a weird thing because it's an art form that is also a business mm -hmm. and, and like, it, it, it feels gross at times for like someone to write a queer story or a story that highlights a, a person uh, from a, from, from a not, we'll just say a non-white straight background, mm -hmm. like, and, and then, it, but then it's received sometimes a lot of times in my neck of the woods as like oh no like there's an agenda behind this i'm like do you do yeah. you think there hasn't been agendas this whole time 
<laughs> like I remember a good friend of mine always, always says, this is an example. He's like, if you can go back to the first issue of Captain America and tell me there's not an agenda in 1941, then the Captain America. <laughs> and the, the cover of the first issue is him punching Hitler in the face. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that is an agenda. That is a pro- that is a propaganda statement. That is a that is a that is a, a virtue like a virtue that we're saying like this is what we will prioritize. This is what we this is our form of storytelling. This is what we will prioritize. And um, I just, I love that you referenced earlier on in, in the, the the conversation that like throughout history this is you know you've studied queer history and wouldn't it be great someday to just be like no that's just history. Like where, where we, we get to celebrate all different types of history as we're learning, you know, yeah. a, a more, div, a more diverse narrative. We'll put it that way. Well, and I think part of the problem with flagging things as, as queer, as POC, whatever, like that's great. And I absolutely think we should tell people that this representation is in the stories, but at the same time, I notice this, I work as a bookseller too. And I notice this a lot that when you have uh, people come into the store and my, my store's crowd is pretty white and pretty affluent and they say they're looking for a book for their 10 year old or whatever. If I hand them a book with a black kid on the cover and they're a white person, they immediately go, Oh, I don't think, I don't think my kid would like that. Or it's the same with if it's a boy and you hand him a book with a girl on the cover and they're like, I don't think he'd like that. And so the more that we, the more that we, it's, it's kind of a double bind, right? Because the more we identify these stories as like, these are queer comics. It's helpful because then queer people find them. But at the same time, then it's almost tells like straight people, like, you're not going to be interested in this. It's niche. It's queerness is niche. Queer stories are not universal. They are yeah. they are just for the queer audience. And I wish we could break out of that mentality. The other thing I was going to tell you, uh, yeah. so so my my Loki book, which is officially officially Marvel canon, but is still like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest part of Marvel canon. If it's not the movie or the movies or the comics, I'm very like third tier. <laughs> Uh, third round, but you're, but you're on the list. <laughs> I am on the list, but I'm I'm the alternate to the alternate. Yeah, um, like I I thought for sure when I went into writing Loki, and and they hired me. They hired me because of Gentleman's Guide. They they knew the kind of stuff I wrote. They knew who I was, and I sort of I remember discussing that at the first meeting I had with them and saying like, if you're giving me Loki, who is a a queer character dating back to his earliest incarnations in Norse mythology, but also who is thanks to thanks to certain Marvel writers is a queer character in the Marvel comics, like within the Marvel canon. I want to write this character queer. That's who my audience is going to want. That's that's the vision of this character. I want yeah. like this is what you're you're bringing me to the table. This is who I I want to write. And they said fine. And I still got a ton of pushback at almost every step. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I Ooh, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I'm going to tell anyway because I think it's important. Go right um, ahead. There was one point. I'm at the end of my contract. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to work again in this town. Um, there was oh my one goodness. point. There was so in the draft, uh, Loki kisses a he kisses a woman and he kisses a man at two different points in the book. Spoilers, kind of. Um, yeah. And at one point, the and the kiss with the woman is like fade to black sex, pretty much. Like it's it's a more a more. Uh, PG-13 rated scene. Um, And then the kiss with the guy is like a peck on the lips. And in one of the drafts I got back from Marvel executives, they had changed the kiss on the lips with the boy to a kiss on the cheek. Um, Hadn't said anything about the fade to black sex scene, but changed the kiss to a kiss on the cheek without telling me. They just like changed it in the text. Um, 
And they continued in spite of like, at a certain point, I was like sending them panels from like the agent of Asgard comics and being like, I'm not saying anything that has not been said previously in comics. I'm not adding to your canon. I'm not, I'm not doing anything here. And they still really pushed back hard on queer Loki. And that was so frustrating and so discouraging and such a hard thing to start a working relationship by saying like, oh, this, this, this character that we told you, you could write for your fans, you could write for yourself. We're now backing down on all of that. And then even when, when the book came out, I thought sort of, you know, we've got through the worst of it. I occasionally get like blisteringly homophobic emails about keeping my gay agenda out of Marvel, which I just ignore because it's not worth feeding the trolls. I got an email about a year ago from a reader in Turkey, which the book's been translated into Turkish. Didn't know that because also authors are usually kept very out of the loop on these things. Like occasionally I get emails that'll be like, congrats, not even from, from my agent or anything, but just like from readers that'll be like, today it's out in Poland. I'll be like, great. Fantastic. I no going to come out and put like, I don't know these things. So I got a, an email from a reader in Turkish that said, did you realize that they had taken all the queer content out of the Turkish translation? And so when international publishers buy the rights to books, they agree, they're not going to change them at all. The translations are from the text. You can't adapt that or change that or anything. Um, and the Turkish publisher had signed that contract and then gone through and edited out all the relationship between Loki and Theo in the book and had mm. like, like taken it all out, not told me it was a huge breach of contract. Um, and I was, I was shocked by that uh, and also shocked by how unconcerned my my team at Marvel was about that and they were sort of the attitude was sort of like well this is what it takes to be a, a global brand um, and thankfully I have an agent who's really great and who really advocated for me and pushed back and and we got yeah. the Turkish translation pulled but it was the sort of thing where I almost felt like if I didn't have a killer agent on this I don't know if they would have done anything like it's just not high on their priorities list and it's incredibly frustrating um, and just it's just a bummer um, and it's, oh, it just, I, I don't even have a thesis for it, for that story, other than it just like, it makes me sad. So, so needless to say, there's a lot, there's a lot more that can be done. There's a lot more that should be oh, done. Yes, on both counts. Uh, do, but until, until we can, we can do those things on a bigger scale until we see change starting to happen. And I mean, it can, and it will eventually. I really do believe that it will. And I really do believe that if history has taught us anything, it's that progress is not a straight line. Progress is something that is always going up and down and it's, there's something good happens and then there's a reaction to it. And um, I think we all think that like now is the only time it's ever been good for, or it's ever been okay for people to be queer. And we talk about queerness in history as like universally something that people had to hide or that wasn't accepted. When we talk about it today, we say, you know, queerness in America, we understand that there are a thousand factors that go into your experience as a queer person. It depends on your, your race, your religion, your gender identity, your income, like all of these different things. And we don't grant that sort of uh, individuality to people in history as well. And so I really do believe that things get better and things get worse and, and yeah. it comes and it goes and it ebbs and it flows. And I do think it's getting better. I think we're, we're on the right path towards progress, but myself, like many, many queer creators and fans, uh, we're frustrated with how slow and how steep and how many obstacles seem to be along that path. Well, I, I know long, long, long journey ahead. And yeah, you were, you know, I, I love that you said like, it's, it's almost like a pendulum. Like if something like swings to the, the side of progress, then usually there's a pushback to the other side where it regresses or, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. this ebb and flow. And like, there's so many different topics 
in like our country our world where it's like progress regress progress regress and um and every so often like i just want i just want like one person to listen to this bonus episode and be like i'm gonna go pick up a queer story even though it's not my story but you know Um, what and and you say that you say that with hope and it does happen um i have i have really, really lovely parents who are pretty conservative and who live in a conservative community. And when Gentleman's Guide first came out, I was actually like when it first sold, I was too afraid to tell them that it was a it was a book about queer queer characters. And I remember my mom at one point asked if she could read an early copy so she could know who in her friend group it was appropriate to recommend it to like just like there was some just like kind of stuff like that that just made me I was like, oh they don't like this they're making it clear that they were happy for my success, but wish it had been with a different book that wasn't so sort of gay, uh, for lack of a better word. For lack um, of a better term. Yeah. And now five or six years down the road, um, they're, they're lovely. My dad reads uh, lesbian romance novels. He loves romance and he loves rom-coms. And he like, what was, he'll, he'll, he read like a boyfriend material by uh, Alexis Hall, which is one of my most favorites, which is about two British guys falling in love. And we had like a lovely conversation about that, that never once did he ever bring up like, oh, but they're gay. So, and so I, I want, I want your listeners to know too, that people change and people get better. And this sort of like prolonged exposure can be really helpful and seeing as much as we're frustrated by those two women kissing in the background of Star Wars being all we get, it does mean something and it can mean something and it can like, eventually it starts to normalize for people. Um, And so don't, I, I, we give up on people so easily and we say like, well, they're, they're homophobic, transphobic, they're Trump supporters now, whatever, get rid of them, never talk to them again, banish them from your lives. And I understand that for some people that's a necessity for survival, but also I'm like, people can change if they are, if they are exposed to, to the opposite rhetoric. So keep giving like, keep giving your straight friends queer books and keep recommending queer stories. Tell every straight person, you know, to watch our flag means death and don't like caveat it as a queer story. Don't say like, Oh, you, you know, this, this is a great queer romance. Just let it be a great romance. Um, and so I also hope that somebody listens to your podcast and goes seeking queer stories, but also like it, it can happen. Yeah, It's a small yeah. step and it might, it might, it might be the first step for someone. I don't know. That sounds cheesy. And, no, and... It, but here's the thing that, that it ends, it ends on uh not just like a, Oh, we're going to end on a hopeful note. It ends on a realistic mm-hmm. note that like, we are all subject to change. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and that, like, that is incredibly hopeful for me. Like I am so glad that in my deepest, you know, darkest, most hate filled moments, my, 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 my straight friends and my queer friends did not give up on me. And, you know, the, the, the Ryan that sits across from this video chat with you here 10 years ago would not even be, would not even think to have this conversation and not, not because I knew, not because I knew I was doing something poor and and deplorable, but because I I had never been taught to think any bigger, any, Mm -hmm. any, any um any any different way um but i'm so no i'm i'm absolutely the same way i think you and i probably had similar similar upbringings and similar places we came from and you can't change where you come from and you can't change often when you're especially when you're young 
there's so much that you just like absorb without even realizing it. And like, I know that I have, I have absorbed so much internalized homophobia, so much internalized misogyny that I didn't have any consent in. It's just something that it, it bleeds into you when you're a kid from this like prolonged exposure to it. Um, and often in ways you don't register and, and you don't realize at the time and you don't sort of even think to interrogate as an adult um, yeah. until hopefully you read something that challenges you or you listen to something that challenges you or yeah. hopefully someday you watch a Marvel movie that challenges you. You never know. You never we are, know. We are capable of much more. Yeah. <laughs> Mackenzie, thank you so much. Like listeners, go check out any of her books, any of her stories, like and I think you will be encouraged and entertained, of course, like they're great. They're great books, great <laughs> stories, but also like it will engage your thinking. It will engage your heart. So go and go do that right now. And um, I hope that you've all enjoyed this bonus episode, something like a passion project I've wanted to do for so long. And I'm just now like taking the opportunity and I hope we get to do many more of these specials in uh, years and months to come and highlight stories that aren't, you know, that, you know, are different than my story. They're different from your story. Um, but yeah, I, Mackenzie, thank you. You're the best. Like Anytime. just in case, just in case you haven't heard that today, you are the best. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we are going to sign off from this special today. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, I hope you have an excellent rest of your weekend. And I hope this episode has just been, um, been encouraging and engaging for you. Thank you very much, listeners. Have a great rest of your day. Stay worthy. Dude, I was all over the... So Katie, I wanted to start off our little uh, conversation for this Pride Month bonus uh, episode with uh, why why queer stories matter to you personally. Um, so I identify as bisexual and queer, and I am lucky enough to have grown up um, in a well, we'll say non-traditional family. My mom came out as uh, queer when I was in junior high. Okay. Um, and my parents are now in a polyamorous triad and have been for like 15 years, which is oh very sweet. Okay, 15 um, years. And uh, my high school best friend um, had a handful of moms, one of whom was trans and is definitely the oldest trans woman I know. She, no, she's in her 80s at this point. Um, and so I grew okay. up with uh, sort of queer folks in my life in a way that felt very easy. I actually um, didn't particularly have a coming out with my parents. I just like brought a girl home this one time. Like, like it wasn't a thing. Um, okay. And, and at the same time, uh, sort of my house was the house where everybody who got kicked out of their house got to come um, and uh, and sort of regroup. Um, okay. My uh, so I was I was a, a, a teenager of the '90s. Um, my best friend in junior high uh, wound up leaving in the middle of high school. Uh, he was a minister's kid and gay and sort of um, emancipated himself early and moved away um, and came back um, in the middle of an AIDS scare, had had, a, had an HIV oh. exposure. And so we sort of walked through that 
with him um, in a very sort of 90s after school special sort of way. Um, he's fine. He's a bartender in Chicago now. I just love um, that after school special reference. Um, <laughs> and so I had, and then my mom was also very active um, with the, uh, she was a elementary school teacher and she was very active in oh, awesome. uh, the GLSEN, which is the gay lesbian uh, educator support nest network. Um, and, uh, so she did work around supporting queer kids in schools, like way before that was particularly a thing. Um, and, uh, we also like worked on the AIDS quilt when I was very young, like oh. all of this stuff was very aware in my like child world. So by the time I was a queer college student you know I I got to Judith Butler and like it was hard because the prose is hard but the ideas were very much already part of my world um in a way that it was very very new to everybody else and continues to be very new to a lot of people um and so I feel very lucky to get to have that uh sort of comfort level in a world where that has once again become very much a cultural wars football, um, which is where we are right now. Uh, the scale of book bannings right now is is the worst we've seen since the, you know, focus on the family early 90s. Um, and it's, it's really scary. Uh, we, we have circled back around to that being a political uh a political toy and yeah. it's infuriating and also i just feel really really aware of the need for that representation um like for little baby me and also for all the actual little babies who are out there right now um and at the same time um you know as much as my household and my upbringing was um pretty gay uh pretty queer um the uh like I still watched a ton of Friends and Seinfeld and was like immersed in this cultural narrative yeah. that was just like so casually homophobic and transphobic so you don't even notice it it's just in the air hmm. um and it was very hard, like as a child, it was very hard for me to get my head around bisexuality. And I even remember as a, when I was in grad school, um, I had like my best queer space I'd ever had. It's since closed, may it rest in peace, um, but it was called Felicia's Atomic Lounge. And it was a lesbian cocktail, cocktail bar in Ithaca, New York. It was such a good space. And when the L word was on, um, my bestie and I would go down every week and watch the L word in a heckling space at uh, Felicia's Atomic Lounge, <laughs> um, but I, which was just the best thing, like fancy cocktails and throwing things at the, at the soap opera. Um, but I still, like, that was a story that was so, like, mean about bisexuals. Like, bisexuals are, like, slutty and untrustworthy, and you can't, uh, you know, they're, you, you can't pin yeah. them down, and they're probably going to leave you for a man and all of the terrible things, like, yeah. lesbians say about bisexuals. Um, and I do feel very aware of, like, all the different permutations of queer identity and how 
important those fine grained pieces of moving away from stereotype can be. Yeah. Um, so for me, I really feel like representation in media um, and uh, you know in comics because I love comics. Yeah. It's really about being able to imagine different ways of being, um, being able to feel sympathy for different identities and different ways of existing if that's not you yeah. and being able to sort of find identifying features if that is you um so that you can imagine what your life might look like or metaphorically create versions yeah. of what your life might look like uh so that it's not just you know whatever mean thing they said on friends <laughs> Wait, and you talked you talked real briefly right there about um inclusive space making mm -hmm. and places where you have felt the most um the most at home or safe you know uh uh and your shop like is i, I mean I, I only see from afar i only see from a distance or i hear from friends of mine that have experienced you know going to your store um what how has books with pictures chosen to as a as a entity like become a space like what you know you felt like you were missing at times but also you found at times yeah um so that idea of like the third space uh the third place the place that is neither your home nor your job yeah. but another place where you can be in like passively in public and at home and comfortable and in community is something that I feel really passionately about as creating that yeah. in the store, that it's not just a place where you are transactional, but it's a place where you maybe know the staff or maybe you chat with other customers, you make new friends, you find different kinds of community support. Um, there was a time, uh, so before I was running the comic book store, I was working in tech and I was commuting from Portland to the Bay Area about one week a month uh, to do my job. And I was hanging out in um, Isotope Comic Lounge in San Francisco um, on the day that uh, Iceman, no, on the day after Iceman came out as gay. Oh, okay. And so I'm so I'm just hanging out. We're just chilling. It's just me and a bunch of comics kids in the shop. And one of them comes in and he is emotional, clearly keyed up. And he comes in and one of the other guys just gives him a giant hug. And then he sort of turns to the group and he goes, guys, I did it. I came out to my parents. Um, and they're like, what? And he's like, well, after I read about, you know, Bobby's bad week, I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And I was like, how'd it go? He's like, it went badly. And I'm like sleeping at my uncle's house now. And I don't know how it's going to go. And he had this whole crew of gay comics boys at Isotope to sort of catch him and give him a hug and talk it through. And then they bought their comics and they left. And it was just such an amazing wow. moment to get to be there for just by accident, just because I yeah, was off work and it was a Wednesday. You didn't and, know. <laughs> uh, you go find a comics book store. Of course you do. And um, and I talked to James, the owner, afterwards and was like, does that always happen? And he's like, well, if it's a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, that's great. And I was like, well, then 
Um, can I stop working with tech bros and go do that? Um, so I did. Uh, so I, I do feel like that piece of identification, uh, there, is this, there is this very negative storyline, which is that it, it's, it's a conversion narrative, right? That we put yeah. these stories in books so that impressionable young children will become this thing. Hmm. Yeah. And for me, it's really very clearly about putting these things in books so that these kids who are this thing can see an alternative to killing themselves. That the there needs to be a version of adult you that you can imagine, that you can put into words, that yeah. you can see having happy, sad, complicated, whatever, that you can see having adulthood relationships, like yeah. a life um, that if you are living in, an, in a community that doesn't make room for that, it is unimaginable until you see it in a fictional narrative. So that's what I'm really, like, that's why I am passionate about this kind of representational media. Um, but also like, in all its permutations. I don't want there to be one gay book or one su gay superhero team or whatever. I want there to be so many that it's not special anymore. Like, yeah, I, I, I and speaking, <laughs> speaking uh, as someone who like, I, I, you, you say kids and I, you know, this is not my story. Um, but I, you know, I, I look at my kids and I'm like, if in 10, 15, however many years, um, we have that conversation. Um, I don't want to be the parent they run from. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be the person that kept, that kept them afraid or fearful. And it's why, you know, I think storytelling is such a great way to, like you said, like envision a version of yourself that gets to grow old and be happy and and be the fullest version of yourself um and i i wanted to the second real main question i wanted to ask you was that where are you seeing that in comics and in fandoms now like ex examples of that that people can go maybe seek out so some of the best places that it's happening in comics right now is actually in uh middle grade and young adult books okay uh, so one of my favorite books from the last several years is called Snapdragon, um, and it's a middle grade book by Kat Lay, who you've seen probably on Lumberjane. She's part of the sort of latter half of Lumberjane's teams. Okay. But this is her working solo, so she's writing and drawing all the things. And it is a story with a kid protagonist and her kid best friend who we see through the course of the story is a trans girl and her relationship with her grandmother uh and with the scary witch who lives across town and it's a it's a magical fantasy story okay uh, the and there's a nice double turn. i don't want to give it all away for your listeners because it's okay. really beautiful okay. uh, but there's a nice double turn where the scary witch across town turns out to just be a little old lady dyke who like wears a trench coat and crocs and then actually the little old lady dyke in the trench coats and crocs 
is actually a witch who does magic. And so we sort of see <laughs> okay. and then the romantic subplot winds up not being a kid subplot, which I hate, pet peeve. It's the adults get to have a romantic subplot. And oh, okay. It, that's completely beautiful. And there's a lot of sort of finding your magic and finding your power in this story that's also about like the magic is a metaphor for gender and sexuality stuff and also the magic is the magic in the story so okay uh it's it's really lovely i am very fond of it it is i think the third best-selling book in my store for like oh wow total um it's fantastic okay um other places um Let's see. Uh, in young adult, there is a book from Scholastic Graphics that came out last year called "Girl from the Sea," uh, that is a selkie, uh, like uh, seal seal person selkie, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. lesbian romance. Incredibly sweet. In superhero books, obviously there is. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. L or son of. Paul L controversy about, oh my gosh, they made Superman bisexual. Technically they made Superman's kid bisexual. It's very sweet. Yeah, Uh, lay off Jonathan Kent, people. (laughs) I love that. I love that book. He's just a good kid. But he's just, Um, he's just trying to live up to an incredibly high standard. (laughs) DC has also recently figured out like the queer thirst trap market in a way on their, in their cover art that I'm very, very fond of. Um, (laughs) The the, the Nightwing colors covers. Come on. (laughs) Dick Dick Grayson is just a complete fantasy for everybody. (laughs) Um, And then over in, uh, Marvel in particular, um, I mean, the whole Billy and Teddy saga has become absolute goals. So um, Wiccan, uh, the son, sometimes son of Scarlet Witch, the son of Scarlet Witch, um, and uh, Hulkling, who is the prince of the... the The other ones? Anyway, who is an alien prince, um, have gotten married, and uh, Billy is prince consort, and they live in space, and they run space diplomacy problems, and because who doesn't? And sometimes also (laughs) hang out with the Young Avengers, who don't exist right now, but they're like they're going to come back. I can see it. I need more Young Avengers stuff. We are clearly leading up to it in the MCU, and I cannot. See them bringing it back in the MCU, MCU and not bringing it back in books. Also, little recommendation: Death's Head was written by Teeny Howard. It was like a five-issue, four-issue, five-issue miniseries two years ago, and it was totally stealth. Young Avengers. They get the whole band back together. I have been <laughs> on a Teeny Howard kick lately with her Catwoman. Yes. Um, but. Um, but I've got to go check that out now. Yeah, um, that's head. Also, Teeny Howard's Excalibur, extremely queer, or I guess now it's it's X of Swords. Anyway, uh, Swords of X or something like that. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. I um. And you referenced um the Iceman, uh, Bobby Drake, uh, series. That is something I'm gonna have to go reread because a little note about this guy: huge Iceman fan. Um, <laughs> like. 
I, I, it was weird when people look at the original lineup of the X Men, like, oh, Cyclops, cool, you know, Beast, oh, maybe cool, Gene, oh, what I'm like, uh, more Warren Worthington and more Bobby Drake, please. Um, but I love those characters. Um, and last like question I wanted to ask you was how, how do you, in your opinion, as a, as a business owner and as a super fan of the medium how can comics be more inclusive going forward in 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 a good way yeah i think in really in lgbtq stuff and also in all the other kinds of diversity we need in racial diversity in um you know class diversity all of this stuff what we need to see is people from different backgrounds and different identities coming into positions of power. So not just hiring the queer artist you can find when you decide to do a pride issue, although that's great, keep doing that. But we need to see people in editorial and management, um, people, you know, um, running marketing, although um, the head of sales and marketing at Marvel is gay. So that's, you know, hi, David. It's um, <laughs> he's listening yeah. he's definitely listening um but uh yeah i think that that getting finding ways to break down those sort of barriers at the upper levels so that the people making decisions about what stories get told and where money gets spent are um not just sort of hypothetically invested but like specifically yeah. and personally invested yeah, yeah. in making sure that different stories get told um and also you know having someone uh, having a black person on your team to notice when the coloring of your black character got completely screwed up before it mm -hmm. goes to press having someone who speaks a different language on the editorial team to point out that the word you just chose for your new superhero is a slur. Um, you know, those kinds of diversity, it's not just, hey, it would be nice, it's this makes a material difference to the kinds of stories that are getting told. Right. And this makes a material difference to who is interested in participating in this medium. And it like it actually improves the quality of your product too, right? Because it you know you're not doing a token thing; you're doing an actual well-researched, well-experienced, uh, like a, a first-person kind of take on whatever character or storyline you want to do. Yeah, and I really do. I want to like right now um, the thing that gets hashtagged as own voices, which is that if you're having someone, you know, if a black person is in your story, a black person should be writing your story. Um, that's very popular right now. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, although I am frustrated that a lot of the time that seems like the only gigs that these writers are getting is, oh, hey, we need a queer writer. Let's call the queer guy to write it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but so there's a tokenism in it. Um, but I do think that ideally there would be enough people from different backgrounds working across comics that they are writing both stories with people like them and people who aren't like them. And once we're there, yeah. like we can go back to having white guys write stories about non-white characters. Like I, I want to go to a place where we can all tell all kinds of stories. Yeah, yeah. You know, with research and respect and, you know, cultural awareness. But right now, I think that we're in this peculiar place where the only way that those stories are getting told 
is um, if people who look like those characters or identify like those characters are getting hired to do it. And that's that's okay with me. That's fine. Yeah. We can hang out here for a while. Yeah, it's, it is funny. So I just two two things I would love your thoughts on. Um, for the longest time, you know, it, it you had for the most part straight white men um, writing characters that were black or um, Hispanic or I don't really I can't really remember a lot of examples of you know um, any any like you'd have them write female characters, you know, gay characters that, and it always felt like okay, even if they're trying their best like there's still something missing. Right. And, and because there's no first, firsthand account, there's no first person experience. You know, I I've read old, you know, um, silver and bronze age, Marvel, uh, you know, Captain America and the Falcon uh, issues. I'm like, this is rough. Like I want, I want the best for Sam Wilson, but it doesn't feel like he's getting his best. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, you know, it, reading old issues of black Panther and being like, I get what's trying to happen here, but it's, it's, but it's not like, it's doesn't feel like it's actually happening. Um, and uh, do you feel like that maybe the kind of the, when people find out like, you know, someone of a specific, you know, group is writing a character like, Oh, that's a blank hire because, right. you know, but it's like for so long. Yeah. Like, that's, I know, that's where I feel like we can hang out here for a while. Like right. it's, it feels like a transitional period and it also feels tokenizing in ways that worry me but also yeah it's the alternative to straight white guys do everything and we do need to move away from straight white guys do everything so you know it's a process um, and there's and there's some people there's some straightish white guys who get a pass from me right like um who's a straightish white guy that gets a pass from you probably Matt Fraction. Okay. Um, Greg Rucka can write all the badass lesbians he wants and I will love all of them. That's that's great <laughs> for me. Um, who else? Um, Al Ewing has come out as not straight um, yeah. and also writes extremely good queer characters. Um, likewise, Kieran Gillen was, was, was passing as a straight dude and has since come out as not straight, but writes such good queer characters. Kieran Gillen's actually an interesting example because I forget to recommend his books as queer books because it is so integral to the characters and so never the point. Like oh, yeah. Kieran Gillen never very special episodes his characters hmm. ever. And so you might forget because what you want to give in the pitch is not two lesbians go on a road trip what you want to give in the pitch is what if pop stars were gods you know and and you forget yeah. that some of those pop stars are gay because of course they are like yeah i so i i apologize if i step on any toes i'm completely ignorant and i know that um i remember once watching um a, an interview with dan levy and dan levy uh, had said like one of the one of the best things he could do uh was create something where uh, there was no, um, there wasn't tension built into something that was so normal to him. Um, and of course he's talking about Shit's Creek. Um, mm -hmm. And then I had listened to an interview with G. Willow Wilson about her, her Kamala Conra. And I swear to God, these things are connected in my brain. Um, she said that kind of like the best thing she could do was just be honest. And I was like, 
that seems like such a because like when you when you approach these topics it's like well how do we tackle it it's like honesty like G. Willow Wilson was just like talking about honesty and I was like why why am I over here stressing out about like how can I be helpful how can I be helpful and it's like god I wish people she just says I wish people would just be honest and I was like damn it <laughs> like, that's, oh, hello. So <laughs> that's really good um yeah I mean I uh there are there are some very good sort of superhero slogans that live in my head and and captain marvel's higher further faster more is definitely one of those and uh kamala's um good is not a thing that you are it is a thing, thing that you, you do, do. It's very very dear to me and also i feel like very sort of a concrete way of saying like, it's not about trying to do the right thing. It's about choosing to do the right thing. Like, I don't care what you're trying to do. Like, that's the wrong way of going about it. Like, you have to to find the right thing and do it. A, a good friend of mine, uh, Haley Hobbs, from, a, from another great podcast called Source Pages, she said when she compared Spider-Man to Kamala Khan and uh, the, the phrase with Spider-Man is, with great power comes great responsibility. And Haley said this, she's like, what about those of us who do not have great power? Yeah. And I was like, I like got chills. And, um, and she just says, I think Kamala's, Kamala's catchphrase is better. Yeah. You know, uh, because we can all choose to do something good. Yeah. Uh, regardless of how much power we have. Well, and the I was Marvel story arc where her friends all put on the, or she has an existential crisis and fucks off. And so her friends all just put on their own dorky looking homemade costumes and take turns being captain being Ms. Marvel because somebody has to be. Someone has to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, Katie, thank you for joining me for this bonus episode. Is there, uh, <laughs> I'll be sure to, I'll be sure to list all the recommended books and um, the characters and titles you gave uh, to our listeners, but do you have anything else like for this special um, uh, bonus episode um, just uh, that maybe you want to add in at the end for anybody listening? No pressure. No pressure. Um, no, I just. I want. I want all of your listeners to just choose to be kind, and that includes being kind to themselves. A perfect way to end a great conversation. 